Well, this morning, um, title of the message is Waiting for the Promise. And the last opportunity that I had to share from the pulpit, we looked at that period of time, those events immediately following the resurrection of Jesus that recorded, um, that was recorded in all of the four Gospels. And if you remember, after the crucifixion of Jesus, the disciples are initially confused, they're fearful, and they're filled with sorrow. I mean, who wouldn't be, right? Think about, place yourself in, in, in their situation for a moment, if you can. Remember, after the crucifixion of Jesus, they must have been thinking many things. They just went through three years of hard, difficult ministry. Their faith was challenged over and over again. But they learned to trust Jesus. They learned to go where he led and to do what he did. They saw him do amazing, miraculous things. They made them even cry out, you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. And not only that, but he sent you out to do some of those same amazing things. And pow, before you knew it, what was happening? You went through from this moving Passover meal where Jesus showed you the importance of serving one another to betrayal, arrest, trial, crucifixion, and death. In a blink of an eye, it all seemed to come crashing down. But then came the resurrection. Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. You walk and talk with him for 40 days and have meals together. He explains how it was all supposed to be like this. I like how Luke records it, the end of his gospel. Verse 44, then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are to be witness of these things while what a turnaround, huh? Can you imagine the anticipation, the excitement among the apostles? This is go time, baby. <laughs> and now we come to the book of Acts. And we read in verse 4 of chapter 1. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. So in this first chapter of Acts, the primary message to us isn't let's go, it's wait. Wait, he tells them. Well, the author of the book of Acts is, of course, Luke, the same author of the gospel that bears his name with the account of the life and ministry of Jesus. Luke is writing in both of these to a man by the name of Theophilus. 
We don't know anything about Theophilus, but we do know that Luke is anxious to share everything he can. And the Acts of the Apostle, the Acts of the Apostles, which is what is often called, Luke gives us a historical narrative of the account of the Apostles' growing ministry, covering events immediately following the ascension of Jesus to the Father through the ministry of Paul and his arrest and imprisonment in Rome. Relatively speaking, this chapter is pretty sleepy. And as I, as I opened it up, it, I immediately saw some of the challenges to it. One of the things about the book of Acts, and if you think about the Bible in general, it's actually a collection of several different types of literature, right? There's poetic literature, think of Psalms, uh, Ecclesiastes, there's wisdom literature, you think of Proverbs, you think of, uh, I'm sorry, Song of Solomon, Ecclesiastes, wisdom, and, and, and then of course there's historical literature. Acts falls in, into that realm. It isn't so much a declaration of theology as it is a record of happening. So when we look into it, we need to look into their lives, how they responded, how perhaps we see the Lord responding to them and we can learn from them. But again, relatively speaking, this first chapter is somewhat sleepy. But I think what we see is it is sort of a pause before events really accelerate. And we will see them really accelerate unbelievably in chapter two. But I believe this chapter has some powerful lessons for the church for our church, and even some parallels that I think we should consider as well. When we think about the disciples' experience through the betrayal to crucifixion, the death and the resurrection, as a church, we've been through some deep trauma. We suddenly, unexpectedly, inextricably, lost our shepherd. That loss has left some of us confused and sorrowful and perhaps a little fearful. And now as we anticipate what's next in our ministry, we find ourselves in a season of waiting. What will happen? Will it all fall apart? You have to wonder if the apostles had thoughts like that. Will there be bickering among us? Will some wander off, just tired of it all? Will the work of Christ, will the work that Christ started all end here? Unfortunately, we know the end of the story, don't we? No, it does not all fall apart, but grew to be the largest, most impactful, religious movement the world has ever seen and I trust will ever see. But the disciples were called first to wait. So let's read. We're going to read the entire first chapter of Acts. I'm not going to ask you to stand. But join with me in reading. If I can bring it up.
Boy, when you just don't prepare your screen right. <laughs> okay, join with me. The promise of the Holy Spirit. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed for his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven... As he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James. All these with one accord, devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers, the company of persons was in all about 120, and said, Brothers, the scriptures had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who, be, who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his bowels gushed out. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem so that the field was called in their own language Ekeldama, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, may his camp become desolate and let there be no one to dwell in it and let another take his office. So one of the men, so one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning with the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two. Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, you, Lord, who knows the hearts of all, show which one of these to you have chosen, that you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. 
And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. So, here we are. We're going to take a look at this chapter from the standpoint of of the main direction to the disciples is to wait. So what can we learn from the disciples in this season of waiting and so applicable to us? Don't we find ourselves in a position of waiting? I think of my own story, just to give you a little bit of transparency. Probably the most difficult time of my life and the best time of my life was a time of waiting. And you can probably relate to it. It's time between jobs. I couldn't wait for that phone to ring. Oh, I hated waiting. I spent a lot of time praying. For the first time in my life, I began reading my Bible every day. And I ended up doing a lot of repenting. I did a lot of crying out to God. And God eventually crashed through a very hard heart. I remember crying out, God, even if I never get another job, all I want is Jesus. And that still is the cry of my heart. I'm so grateful for that season of waiting. And you know, two days later, from that cry, I got a call for an interview and it ended up putting me on a career path that was one of the most fruitful seasons in my life. And I say that not because the reason for it all was to get the job. I say that because I think what God did in that moment was to say, I can provide everything you need. What I want is your heart. Amen? Well, the fact of the matter is we don't like to wait. We just don't like to wait. And I look at Acts 6, and I think the disciples reveal themselves a bit when they say, Lord, remember, this is is right after he reveals himself to them. Lord, will you at this time restore your kingdom to Israel? Isn't this so like us? Dad, are we there yet? I swear, as soon as I start the grill, I invariably hear, are the burgers done? (laughs) You know, I think we see waiting as inaction. We see waiting as being ineffective. And when Peter, much later, talks about the coming kingdom and why God delays judgment, he tells us this. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God waits because God's redemptive work is not done. The disciples wanted the kingdom restored right now. But think of the countless souls yet unredeemed. 
And I think what we can learn from this is our focus needs to be on our part in that redemptive work. See if this helps sharpen your focus. Again, in Peter's second letter, chapter 3, verse 11, he says, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, and he means the earth as we know it, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for, and hear this, hastening the coming of the day of God? Isn't that amazing? What sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God? So let our prayer be, Lord, transform us so that we might be witnesses of your gospel, useful in all ways you intend to bring about your kingdom. Well, next, I think we can look at this and say the disciples discovered the scope of their ministry was way bigger than they ever expected. The beginning of verse 8, you will be my witness in Jerusalem. That they probably expected. But he goes on, and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Wow, this is way beyond anything we thought was going to happen. Remember that line, we're going to need a bigger boat? I don't know if that applied to these guys, but they're fishermen. It made sense. I suspect the disciples held a much more colloquial or local vision of their ministry. And the truth is, God's plan is always bigger than what we can envision, isn't it? The, the disciples look to see the kingdom restored to Israel. God's plan was to the end of the earth. Could Abraham have ever imagined his, his faith literally changing the eternal destiny of billions? Could Joseph ever imagine he would rule Egypt, be used to save millions from starvation and sustain God's chosen people, the Hebrews? We could go on, but the point is God's plans are always bigger than ours. What are God's plans for Grace Bible Church? I hope you're praying about that. Is there any limit to how the Lord can use us? Well, I think the next thing we can learn is don't spend your time looking up. Rather, look ahead to the ministry right in front of you. And I think we have to read this with a little bit of tongue-in-cheek. I'm not sure if there was sarcasm in, in these men's voices, but in my own mind, they're getting a little sarcastic with the disciples. Verse 10, it says, and while they, meaning the disciples, this is at the ascension, right? And while they were gazing into heaven as Jesus went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. I mean, have you ever considered why the author put that into the text? 
why this angelic appointment was important? Did they just happen to float by and said, hey, let's stop in and see what's happening? I don't think so. Or were they telling the disciples something very, very important? Think about it. Are we prone to be lulled into a passive faith by a longing for the Lord's return to the detriment of our calling? Don't get me wrong, we set our hope firmly on Christ's return and the fulfillment of all of his promises. But there is work to be done. A passive faith, best case is we limit the Lord, what the Lord intends to do through us. Worst case is we find ourselves the slothful servant. Remember in Matthew, who spoke of, of the servant who buried his talent rather than using it. But often we have to acknowledge our inaction is a result of discouragement or loss of hope. So let the angel's promise of Christ's return fuel your ministry, not limit your ministry. Next, the amazing thing that happened perhaps in this whole chapter is what didn't happen. Let me read this. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called all that which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying and it lists the disciples. And then it says this, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary and the mother of Jesus and his brothers. It is interesting that this, first, this is one of, this, this is the only co uh, editorial commentary that you will, you will see from the author in this chapter. He says, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together. And if you notice, there's no critical attitudes, there's no bickering, there's no second-guessing the leader's decisions. But I think what we're challenged by is weight and uncertainty so often produces all of these and worse. You know, I don't know anything about music. But I... I do remember a day I came in here early. I was serving in the sound booth. I know, sound booth, guy knows nothing about music, but all I have to do is move switches. Darren's up on the stage. He's the only one there, and, and he, he just makes a note to be watching out for the harmony and the melody, and I'm like, are they in the bathroom? I mean, you know, I know nothing. I know nothing about music. But what does make sense to me is when things harmonize with one accord. And it does suggest a musical imagery. Many notes are sounded which, while different, harmonize in pitch and tone. That is what the body of Christ is supposed to be like in ministry, isn't it? With one accord, the mission of the church only flourishes when we move together. It will not move 
in dissonant tones. Is that a word? Musical word? Yeah, there you go. And secondly, we realize the church's ministry only flourishes, flourishes when we are dependent on the Lord, continually seeking him in prayer. And again in verse 14, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. I like how Pastor John Piper says, prayer is not so much about getting what we want as it is about changing my heart. From H.B. Charles' book, It Happens After Prayer, he says, prayer expresses our submission to and dependence on God. Prayer reflects our confidence in the Heavenly Father to care for our needs. God the Father delights in his children, bringing their needs and wants to him in prayer. It brings glory to the Father to respond to his children who pray in faith, but it grieves the Father when we take our problems to others but refuse to pray. In this season of waiting, we have to ask ourselves, are we, are we being a prayerful people? This should be a time where we are nurturing prayer, not failing at prayer. This should be a time when prayer is dominant in our lives, not absent in our lives. Romans 12, 12, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Ephesians 6, 18, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And Philippians 4, 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. In this time of waiting, we need to be a prayerful church. The mission of the church is fueled by prayer. Well, looking at this text, I think we can say that waiting reinforces the reality our ministry will go nowhere until it is empowered by the Holy Spirit. That's really the dual message behind this. Wait until you are empowered by the Holy Spirit. I think of that line from some crazy movie playing Custard where he said, we're Americans, we don't think, we act, right? Sometimes we do that. Sometimes we get out in front of God. But I love this, and Luke reinforces it from his gospel at the tail end. He says in chapter 24, verse 47, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witness of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Sometimes we, have, we, we need to wait to be empowered by the Lord. And it's funny, waiting, again, waiting seems like it's doing nothing. But you know what not waiting is doing? Not waiting is saying, we don't need the Lord. We're, you know, just hang on, we'll get this done, God. And we plow forward. 
waiting until we are empowered by the Lord. One, it builds discipline in us to seek the Lord first in all things. Waiting helps us reflect also on our need for God in our lives. We so easily convince ourselves that we can handle it, don't we? We so easily do that until it all falls apart. Well, I think another thing we can learn from this text, and this is covered in verses 21 to 26, is that ministry often involves very difficult choices. Let me read this. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he, when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, you, Lord, who knows the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship for which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. So I think it's important to recognize and remember that ministry is oftentimes filled with very difficult choices. It's often filled with choices where there are no clear answers. And you're taking a step of faith. You're committing your way to the Lord. You know, what is it? it, it, it I can't remember the exact reference, but commit your way to the Lord and he, he will show your path. So oftentimes choices are difficult. They're not clear, right? And you want to you wonder in this time of stress and uncertainty with this group, this is 120 people, was there a temptation to say, Matthias, whose idea was that, Right? Or Peter, who put you in charge? You know, it's a time for the congregation definitely to ask questions, but trust God's process. Trust God's process. And recognize that oftentimes people blossom in seasons of waiting. Interestingly enough, when we are busy with plans, and projects, we seldom have time for deep reflection and course correction. Isn't that right? Waiting becomes a disruption to that frenetic, hectic, distracted life. Waiting helps us to pause and reflect and ultimately can move us to change and action. And I, I just... In, in this first chapter, one of the things that really jumps out to me that I so appreciate is Peter really coming into his own. Remember, 
this is, this is verse 15. It says, in those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. He stood up. He said, scripture had to be fulfilled. He pointed the church towards the scriptures. And then he goes on to, to give this great delivery of, of, uh, of prophetic word. He clearly had a grasp of the scriptures. For it is written in the book of Psalms, may his camp become desolate and let there be no one to dwell in it and let another take his office. And we got to remember, this is the guy who, when Jesus tried to tell him the plan for him was to suffer and die, Peter stood up and said, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. This is the guy who said, Jesus, I think you have the plan wrong. Let me set you straight, right? Or the time Jesus told the disciples, you will all fall away because of me this night. And Peter proudly declared, though they all fall away, of course, he's talking about the 11 guys behind him, but I will never fall away. And we all know what happened hours later, even minutes later. Peter folded like a cheap suit. In verses 15 to 26, in the upper room, with all the other disciples, we see Peter blossom as a leader that Jesus said he would be. In Peter, we find a leader who sees a need and acts. In Peter, we see him show a command of the scriptures and respond accordingly. We see Peter show great discernment. It's just a beautiful picture of the birth of the church. But you know, one of the, one of the most hopeful messages I pulled from this whole text, 120. Think about that. 120 people and the Lord changed the world. You know, when we're we're all here, it's about 100 people. I find that very encouraging. I'm not saying we're going to start a new religion and change the world with anything, but, but imagine what the Lord can do with us in Hollister. Or better yet, realize there's nothing the Lord can't do. Right? The company of persons wasn't all about 120. Let's take that with hope. Waiting waiting is a time of reflection. Waiting is a time of depending on the Lord. Waiting is a time of crying out to the Lord. Waiting is a time of seeking his direction. And according to this text, waiting is a time just prior 
to God pouring out his power and spirit upon the church. And we see the most amazing things happen. That's a good prayer to be praying, isn't it? Let's be praying that. Join me in prayer. Father, thank you for thank you for Luke, the physician. Thank you for in your sovereignty that you ordained that this man would be so passionately focused on recording all these details of the apostles, the acts of the apostles, and these early days of the church. Father, help us to take encouragement and hope from their experiences. Help us to learn from seasons of waiting that those are not times that you are not present. Those are not times that you are not working and acting. But they are times that you intend to accomplish some very important things. Father, as we wait, help us to be faithful. As we wait, help us to be dependent upon you. Father, as we wait, help us to be seeking you daily, hourly, Father, as we wait, help us to be reminded that our mission is to be witnesses of your kingdom and your glory. Equip us for that task, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, happy Mother's Day, everybody. I hope you have barbecues or at least go home and do the dishes. Men, have a blessed day. You are dismissed.